We started this series, Improving a Quality of Life, without spending a dime two weeks ago. And the reason I'm doing this series is because I feel tremendously burdened for the world that I live in and for the people that I see on a treadmill every single day caught up in something that when someday we come to our senses and step back from it all, we're going to go, you know, I think that I put my ladder up against the wrong wall. I think when I step back and we step back from our materialism, from our pursuits of achievement, when we're older and in those private moments, we're going to look back and think to ourselves, my goodness, where did the time go? Where did my life go? And I feel empty and hollow. Quality does not come, as I've been sharing with you, from the things that we possess. And it's a very hard thing to break out of in this country. It's very difficult because every single day we are bombarded with it on television, in our media. It is the American way of life. To achieve more, to get more, to buy more, to enjoy more. I've been sharing with you that there are only only a few things in life that really matter. And you know, to be honest with you, they're really free. They don't cost you anything. And the first one I shared with you last week is wisdom from God. That wisdom from God is what gives us the ability to enjoy a quality of life. When we understand God's way of living versus man's way of living. This morning, what I want to talk to you about is that quality really comes from an investment in love. Quality does not come from a home. Quality does not come from what you achieve. Quality does not come from necessarily career fulfillment. It comes because you have somebody to go home to. It comes because you've invested in people. And that's a very hard concept for most of us to grasp. But you know, if you stop for a moment and think about what you saw on the stage today and think about the song that was sung, there's not probably one of us who wouldn't go back and wished we could have changed the way we grew up. We can't go back and change how we grew up. But we can change how we live our lives today. That's still within our power and our ability to do. We can change our relationship with our spouse. We can change our relationship with our children before it's too late. And our children grow just like we did, with the same values. You know what's so interesting? We can grow up in a family where maybe our mother was never around or our father was never around. And we think to ourselves, I'm going to be different, I'm going to be different, and we grow up and the cycle continues. Marriage and the family unit have not gotten any better or any stronger, even though many of us as baby boomers, we look back and think we're going to do things differently. Families are breaking up in record numbers, and the pain is unfathomable. The pain of broken love is very, very hard to fathom how deeply it hurts. The pain of a broken family. 60% of 
of the school children just in the Minneapolis school district alone come from single-parent families. Where only one of, the, one of the spouses is living with the children. We have aborted one-third of the baby buster generation. And you wonder why they feel so disenfranchised. And you, we wonder why they feel so hopeless today. That's a big part of the reason. We have devalued our offspring. We have devalued life. We have devalued love. And in its place, we have valued material things. Success and achievement. And in fact, many of those individuals are our mentors without realizing it. We don't think of them as our mentors. I'm going to give you a couple this morning that I think you're all very familiar with. First one's Mickey Mantle. All these people at Mickey Mantle's funeral. Thousands upon thousands of people. Little boys my age, when they were little, grew up idolizing Mickey Mantle. His own sons didn't idolize him. He said in tears just before he died, to Bob Costas on television. I wished I would have been there for my kids. His family fell apart because baseball and alcohol were more important to Mickey Mantle than human beings. Every Sunday on NFL Fox, you see the man with the perfect hair, Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson, through his kids away, basically, and his wife because of his passionate love for football. And he has stated publicly that he doesn't regret it. His whole world crumbled as far as he's concerned. His world didn't crumble. Their world crumbled. Now, I'm going to tell you something. One day, Jimmy Johnson, you know, when he's alone, when he's got that private, those private moments and he's not in front of, front of the media spotlight... And he's out on his yacht with his new girlfriend. He's going to have those hollow times. Those empty moments. When he realizes his kids grew up. He let them grow up. And he wasn't there. And he didn't care. And it's going to hurt real bad. And it's not going to be a thing he can do to change it. I want you to think for just a moment. And I mean this in a positive way. I don't mean this to depress you. I want you to think for a moment what it would be like if you were at your own funeral. You had an out-of-body experience. And, and part of your out-of-body experience, you're, you're back in the back of your funeral. And first of all, you're looking to see who's there. And one of the first things that strikes you is it's kind of a small crowd. And then you look around at who is and isn't there, and, and then people begin to get up front and talk about you. What was really important to you. I wonder if you'd be encouraged if you could read people's minds. If, if the things that many don't have the courage to get up in front and say, I wonder what would do to your life. Have you ever thought about that? Because you know when it's all said and done, it's really all that matters. Not so much understand what other people think of us. They thought we were so neat. But that those closest to us really respected us. They really had a fond affection for us. 
We really made a real difference in their life. And our children and our wife really misses us. Because there's an emptiness in the relationship. And they're going to miss our presence. And they're going to miss the affirmation and the encouraging words. And yet at the same time, they're thankful that we left them a legacy of love. And a legacy of quality time spent together. A legacy, in fact, as one of my closest friends, who's a little older than me, has told me, Mark, you never get quality without quantity when it comes to time with those you love. He's, he's, he's got uh, seven, eight children. Oldest is 23, and he told me, Mark, he said, I can't tell you enough how important it is that you spend a lot of time with your kids. And I have been so thankful to have men and women in my life giving me those warnings. Because it's so true, just like my mother told me, my aunts and uncles told me, friends told me, enjoy them when they're young. Because they're going to be 20 years old before you know it. In four years, I'll have a daughter 20. In two and a half years, both my oldest children will graduate from high school. They'll be done. Life goes by so fast. And you know, the Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that the flower fades, the grass withers, and so is a man's life. It's just like the flower that's here today and gone tomorrow. The Bible tells us that our life is like a vapor, a puff of smoke. Rudy Purpich did not anticipate dying at 67 years old. That's pretty young today. But he's gone. He's gone. And we need to ask ourselves, before it's too late, because many of you still have a chance, especially with your spouse and with your children, to change your life. You still have the chance to change what you value. You still have the chance to change your paradigms. <clears throat> many of you maybe aren't married yet. You really have a chance. No matter where you're at, other than the fact that if your children are all grown, the best thing you can do is go back to them and apologize and seek to rebuild your relationship with them. I got a call from my mother the other day. I <clears throat> and she had some bad news. wasn't wasn't good news. My father called her for the first time in ten years. I haven't seen my father now in a number of years. Now, I have real mixed emotions when I think about my family, to be honest. I, that's why I didn't know whether, how well I was going to be able to come out and uh, deliver this this morning and share this with you today. Because the, a lot of the drama and the song, that was my favorite song in high school. By Harry Chapin. I used to think about it all the time. When I was a little boy, <clears throat> my father loved God. My father did many of the things we talked about last week. He lived his life by the Bible. And I'll never forget the first football my dad brought home. My dad didn't just bring it home, he played catch with me. I'll never forget how many hundreds of baseballs my father caught in the backyard. He was the catcher, I was the pitcher. <clears throat> my dad wasn't very coordinated when it came to baseball. My dad was a boxer, but, but basketball and those kind of things, he wasn't real coordinated at. 
But he went out and bought a catcher's mitt just so he could catch my, my pitches. I never became a pitcher. I never even pitched in baseball. I became a catcher and a left fielder. I remember the times my dad would take me when I was three years old. My father was still fighting then. We lived in California. He'd run around the track with me. And I'd run my little legs, follow him around the track. By the time I got to be about 11, my father drifted from God. Radical change in a person. And he became bitter. And he became resentful. You didn't see it all then. It didn't. It wasn't all on the surface. There were just subtle differences. My father quit reading his Bible. My father didn't have as much time. When I was 11, uh, my youngest brother, my last, the last baby in the family, was born. And my youngest brother had a very different life than I had. He and I have talked about it many times. It's almost when he sat and heard me share some of these stories, he's come up to me and said, Mark, I, I can't even remember life being like that. We had different fathers. And I had a different father from the time I was 11 to the time I was till now than I had my first 10 or 11 years. But my brothers and sisters, I'm the oldest of six. They had a very different upbringing. My father was gone four to five nights a week. He traveled on the road selling. And pretty soon, money and achievement became everything to my dad. And it wasn't so much that he was trying to provide for us because he was always a good provider, even though my father's only been through the fifth grade. Now, I always had clothes. We always had food. I mean, we didn't live rich. I don't remember being able to take a family vacation. It didn't bother me when I was a kid. I had dad around. But he decided to travel on the road. He'd leave Sunday night. He'd come back Friday night. And sort of leave me in charge. So much to the extent that we lived out in the country and my mother gets frightened pretty easy. And so there was loaded guns up in the house and I knew where they were. And I'll never forget the night my mother came in shaking me awake at two in the morning. I was almost 12. Someone was in the backyard driving their car through our yard. And I got the gun and I got the rifle and I got the pistol, the rifle and my bow and arrow. And I'm sitting in the living room waiting for something to happen with my mom. And then, then we moved, had a move. We moved to another city and, you know, I became, you know, 14, 15, 16. Those years, basically, I wasn't home to see even what happened. I was visiting with my brother the other day and I realized, I said, you know, Oliver, I, the reason I don't get is because I, I wasn't home. I was off. Off doing whatever I was doing, working, doing sports, I just wasn't around. Things were deteriorating more and more at home. My father was becoming angrier and angrier and angrier. It got to the point when I was 16, 17, about 17, 18, my father would sit around the table espousing Marxism. My father became full of venom and spite and resentment. Everybody was taking advantage of him. All they could see was the bad. Finally, I left. I graduated. I left. I don't remember my father being at any of my dramas. I was in 
drums in high school and did a lot of things. I don't remember my dad being there then. It didn't dawn on me that he wasn't there for all my younger brothers and sisters either. He wasn't anything they were doing. I took off, hitchhiked, 1975. Didn't say goodbye to my mom and dad, just put on my backpack, get up the morning after I graduated and walked down on the street and walked out to the highway and stuck my thumb out and left. In my own search, to fill the hollowness and the emptiness of my own life. I came back about five months later and things were the same. And then God got involved in my life. Best thing that ever happened to me. I started to realize what a selfish rebel I had been and how much pain I had probably put my own parents through. And I began seeking to make amends, but, you know, there was no way I could stop. I felt so helpless to stop what I saw happening right in front of my own eyes. My mother never dreamed that she'd be living the last years of her life alone. Never, never in her wildest dreams. She gave everything she had to her husband and her children for 25 years of her life. And then one day, and I was gone by then, I was married. We had our first child. My father, while the family watched, without saying a word to them, loaded up his pickup truck, put his last bit of things in it, got in, and drove and left and never came back. Never said a word to anybody, to the kids, nothing. While they watched him out the window, sobbing. And about two years later, a year I think, I don't think, actually, it was maybe just six months. I wasn't there, so I get the dates mixed up. The sheriff came and evicted my mother from the house. My dad had taken a second mortgage on the house and left her broke. Never sent any money home? Ever. In all these years. He's never divorced my mom. He's been married five times since. The man I knew is not the man that he is today. And it's a tragic situation. He doesn't know any of his grandkids. He doesn't even know his own children. So I... I say these things to you, partially having lived through them, I know that some of you had it far more difficult actually than I did. And then many of you would never do anything like that at all. That's an extreme situation. You're just trying to work hard and provide for your family. And I want to tell you something, both husbands and wives, that's a commendable thing. I don't want any of you to walk away here today thinking, my gosh, you know, this church is down on me, Mark's down on me, because I'm trying to provide for my family. Not at all, not in any way, shape, or form. I just want you to step back and ask yourself, do I need to be gone that often? Do I need to provide that well? Am I sacrificing time with my children today that I will never get back tomorrow? Then maybe you could find a different job. Well, you still have a chance. Maybe you can lock into something different as you reprioritize your life. There's not one of you in this room today that couldn't have a better marriage. It just takes an investment of love and time. I want to read a verse to you out of the Song of Solomon. It's a chapter that many people, excuse me, a book in the Bible that many people don't often read. 
But it's chapter 8 and verse 7 and it says this. Well, I'll start with verse 6. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. And jealousy, it's jealousy, excuse me, unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. You cannot buy love. But love is something that every single person in this room desperately wants. Whether you're male or female. Money and career and all the things you could achieve will never replace the satisfaction of knowing you're going home tonight to someone who loves you. My children now are almost 16, almost 15, 11 and 6. And when I come home, they still come running out in the driveway to see me. And I cannot tell you what that is like. I live in a tent for that. I live in a tent for that. My wife, my kids, they just still drop whatever they're doing. Wow, they heard a car door slam. They come run and see if dad's home. I decided 20 years ago, I made a decision in my life, that when I'm married and when I have children, nothing, nothing, no one, no thing, is going to change my focus from building lifelong relationships with my wife and with my kids. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror, looked at your wife? Maybe you didn't say this, but you thought this. When the kids are gone, will we make it? Have you ever asked yourself that question? When the kids, you know, because when you're, when you're young, you've got a family, and all your energies are focused on the kids, and you step back and go, do I even know this person? Boys to men have a new song entitled When the River Runs Dry. We don't talk anymore. We don't even know each other anymore. We better do something before the river runs dry. And I'm telling you right now, you better. You better. Because I promise you, you will not find something better the second, the third, the fourth time. Rather, you will carry the same dysfunction and attitudes on into the next situation. Other than, you know, some extreme situation, the person's an alcoholic and they refuse to change. They're a drug addict and they refuse to change. They beat you to a pulp, they refuse to change. I'm talking about the normal type things that often people divorce for in America. It's time to invest in that relationship now. It's time to invest in those little ones now. While they still want something to do with you. Because if you don't want something to do with them now, I make you a promise, when they hit their teenage years, they will not want anything to do with you then. And and I just watch people come by me often as I stand outside of our services and I answer my phone many, many times during the week. See, I have to deal with the brokenness. That's why I'm telling you this today. To warn you, to help you, to urge you. Because I deal with the broken families all the time. The broken hearts all the time. Invest in love. I just want to give you a few ideas here about investing in love. Real quality of life comes from investing in people. Loving relationships are what really enrich our lives. You know, I, um, I don't have much in the way of 
worldly possessions. I've never, I'm 39, I, I've been married almost 17 years, and to, to this day I've not owned a house yet. I'm not saying everyone has to do that. I'm trying to just explain to you that I really mean what I'm saying. We don't have a dishwasher. We don't have a garbage disposal. We have a one little car garage. I have one car that carts around all six of us. We have to try to coordinate our schedule. The reason I don't have many of those things is because I just don't have the money to get them. But I have determined that rather than trying to get those things, I want to make sure about what's inside the home for my family. I don't want to look back someday and think, wow, we... We just had the most well-manicured lawn you could imagine. It was so sculpted. That deck, that hot tub was incredible. But in order to get all those things, I simply never had time to be in the hot tub with the people that loved me the most. You don't have to live in the rat race that we call America. I want you to know that. I don't care what your in-laws think, what your parents think, or what relatives think, or the peer pressure that you feel to achieve the status quo. I would rather be envied than envy others. And I can't tell you how many people have commented to me and told me, Mark, man, I wished I could have that kind of family. And I'm just telling you, you can have that kind of family. And you can have that kind of marriage. You think back to the days you were courting, my goodness, is there any reason most of us enjoyed dating so much? All you did was think about the person all day long. That's, that's what consumed your mind. You got off work. You picked up the phone. Hey, you want to go uh, to the ground round? You want to go do something? Want to go to a movie? Want to be together? Just want to be together? That's all you wanted to do was be together. You lived to be together. Now, I realize when we get married, we got other things to do. There are responsibilities in our life, but boy, you better make sure you feed your love. Ever since my wife and I have been married, we date. We still date. I am more in love with that woman than I was 20 years ago, almost when I met her. It's the best thing that ever happened to me, was that woman. And I've not always been the greatest husband. I'd be the first one to admit that. But I'll tell you, I'm so thankful to God that he knocked me upside of the head years ago and showed me how important it is to invest in this relationship. And if I die tomorrow, I die a happy, happy man. And I know for a fact that my wife, even though she would cry and be grieved, would say she was thrilled to God and to death that she was able to live with me for 17 years. Not because I was perfect, because I'm not. Because I loved her. And she knows I love her. My kids, I know that as well. And they love me. All you have to do is give them yourself. Give them yourself. See, I don't have lots of hobbies. And the things that I do, I always try to bring my family in. One of the reasons that I have an office, my office is at home. There's a reason for that. Now, I realize we can't all do that. Don't take me wrong. I'm just saying, you know, we do in life what we choose to do. 
I'm just saying there's a lot of things we can choose to do. You may not be able to choose to have your office at home, but you can get, choose to get home from your office instead of stopping off with the guys. One of the reasons I've done that is because there's a lot of pressure in ministry. A lot of pastors don't have their office in their home. They have a nice office for whatever reasons. I have it at home to stay close to my family. I have it at home because I realize, that just I'm being totally honest with you, how susceptible many pastors have been today to immorality. And I'm not about to let that happen to me. I'm staying close to my wife. I'm staying close to her. My kids, I realize I won't have very long. And so I made it a point all these years that they've been growing to date my kids. And I can honestly say to you today that my best friends are my wife and my kids. That's honest to God, the truth. I spend as much time as I can. I have responsibilities. I do a lot of traveling to other places to speak. But I am determined not to make some of the mistakes that other Pastors and men have made before me, and I've read their biographies. Billy Graham has stated himself personally. If I had my life to do over, I'd change two things. I'd spend more time reading my Bible, and I would have spent a lot more time with my kids. I've decided it'd be better if I just took their advice and have to give that advice in retrospect when I'm 65 years old. Reorganize your life. Get rid of the things that you know are taking away from your time with your family. Some of you, let's, maybe you have a hobby that you like to refurbish old cars. All right? Now, it's great if you can bring your family into that. If you've got a son or even a daughter that likes to stand out and shoot paint. If you've got a son or daughter that likes to sand down, put Bondo on the car. I'm not knocking that. That's fine. But I know many men that hibernate in their garage. I have a relative very close to me. He just built a huge big machine shop because he owns his own wood turning lathe. He owns equipment you can't possibly imagine and he makes all their own furniture. I think it's a great hobby. I think his craftsmanship's remarkable. I think it's fine to have hobbies like that. But I want to tell you something. I'd much rather sand and polish my kids than have the finest furniture in the world. Now, if you can bring your children into things like that, I say more power to you. But often for us guys, our power tools can be more important to us than our kids. Our fishing boat and fishing with our buddies and hunting with our buddies be more important. In fact, if we're honest, we enjoy it more than going to a restaurant with our wife. Wives, you need to think about the same things. Because often you have as many hobbies, as many things going, priorities as your husband. In fact, I'll tell you something I think is getting in the way. I think that it's the goal of almost every woman to have a clean home. Now, I know she'd like help, and guys, we could pitch in a lot more. I want you to know that. And I want you to know, it's an example I've tried to set to my children. I know what it's like to vacuum. But you know what? I'd rather have a dirty house and love than to have a spotless house and my wife just never has any time to sit next to me on the couch or to hold hands or to have some fun together. I'd rather let, let me read you one other verse and then I'm going to close. It's in Proverbs chapter 15. 
and verse 17. And it's a verse that I think about real regularly when I think about my family and I think about my relationship, my priorities. Better is a meal of porridge where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. And then there's one other one that I want to uh, read you in Proverbs 11:29. And this really can cut here. It says, He who brings trouble on his own family will inherit only wind. The fool will be a servant to the wise. He who brings trouble on his own family will inherit nothing. Inherit the wind. Emptiness. You have a chance, men and women, you have a chance to do something different. We have a chance to change what our children inherit. We have a chance to give them a better legacy. And you may be thinking to yourself, and I'm going to tell you, I'm no different than you. You may think to yourself on some days, boy, I'll tell you what, I sure made a mistake when I married so-and-so. You're, listen, listen, let's be honest. You're going to meet men and women who are more charming and more beautiful than the person you married. That's tough. Just like a Porsche is nicer than my van. Beauty is not about what's on the outside, but it's the depth and the quality that you've developed with each other. I've told this to my wife, and I hope no one takes this wrong. She knows what I mean. So look, Kathy, I think you're gorgeous. I think you're beautiful. But my goodness, there are more beautiful women. But you're much more to me than beauty. They may just have the shell. But none of them could ever threaten what you and I have. They're a lot more handsome, charming, intellectual men than me. But we've got something because we've been building it brick by brick, piece by piece. And some days, you know, the bricks take a few smashes and a few windows get knocked out and, and we got to put them back in. But we put them back in. And we repair the window pane. And we repair the leaks. And we maintain it. And we put a fresh coat of paint on it. And we beautify it. That's all it takes. is an investment of your time, of your energy. And you have a forgiving spirit. My goodness, you're going to be wronged. I've wronged my wife more than I could ever count. And she's wronged me. Almost as much. It's, you just going to have a big, a big heart. You're going to have to want to make it work. You don't just sit around and wait till, okay, if I could just get the feelings back. It's effort that brings feelings. Most of you had feelings because that's all you thought about all day. Now what you think about all day is how bad you've got it. It's no wonder you have bad feelings. Same is true with your kids. You don't envy what other people have, but build the little children you have. Do things with them. You know, go fishing with them. Play ball with them. Hang out with them. Learn to play video games, mom and dad. You know what I do for some of you? Just just learn. Just say, son, will you teach me? Sweetheart, daughter, you know, will you teach me how to play this game? Learn to play the game. One of the things I do with my daughters is that, you know, they like to go look at clothes. We don't always buy them. Not very, very rarely. And usually if they do, it's with some of their money or, or they with necklaces, you know, or, or little earrings. And I, I go with them. It's not my favorite thing in the world. My son likes to look at football cards. You know, I try to reflect back and go, well, when I was a kid, yeah, I like cards, but, you know, I don't like it so much anymore. But I go. 
I go and we hang out and we, you know, get a card. Look at football magazines. I just try to develop an interest in what they're interested in. Just those simple little things, you know, you can get a lot of tapes from the tape library on this if you want more ideas. I'm just trying to wake you up this morning is what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to let you know that the richest thing you have going for you is beside your, or in that little child care waiting for you today, or maybe they're right beside you this morning. That's the best thing that ever happened to you. Besides something I'm going to talk about next week, you'll have to find that out when you come back. There's one more best thing that could ever happen to you, and that's next week. But that's the best thing. Go home and do something different. Start living your life different. Okay? If you've got to get a planner, get a planner and plan your time better. But the main thing is reprioritize what you live for. And remember that quality of life doesn't come to spend a lot of money. It comes from investing in love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you that we still have the opportunity to change our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for the example that you set as a Heavenly Father. That you love us. And man, Lord, you have time to listen to us any time of the day. I pray, Lord, that we be dads who take the time to listen and the time to talk to our kids. I pray that we be husbands and wives that take the time to listen to each other before we're dead and gone or before the river runs dry and there's nothing left. We can look out, Lord, at a whole generation of kids that are really, really broken and really, really hurting. They don't know much about love. They know more about violence than they know more about love. Help us, Lord, to go home today and make a difference. Help us to invest in love while we still have the time. And our youth is still here. And our kids are still home. In our marriage, we're still under the same roof. In Jesus' name, amen.